What the fuck is up, world? Biali, Tlaltik, Bak. We back in this bitch. Another podcast for that ass. A redo of fucking last week's supposed to be dropped podcast, but for whatever reason, your boys, Adobe Audition, my fucking sound pad, the fucking thing that connects to the microphone, maybe even the microphone. I don't know what the fuck, dog, but it's just been tripping on me for the last couple of episodes. And sometimes it'll fucking, I'll just start rocking and rolling. And then midway through this bitch, it'll just fucking drop on me. And I won't even fucking know it till the end of the podcast. And I'm like, fuck, I had shitty audio for the entirety of that podcast. Uh, Despite that, I did still try to drop last week's podcast because I was like, fuck it, dog. I got, you know, I don't mean it's a humble brag, but I'm like, bro, I got down. I want to fucking release this shit. You know what I mean? I'm trying to remain consistent. Trying to elevate those flowers to the sky, you know what I'm saying? But uh, I fucking listened to it myself, and I was like, no, no, I can't, I can't do this. I gotta fucking record this episode. You know what I mean? So it's been about three weeks now, but realistically, it was two weeks because fuck this whole kerfuffle with my sound, with my fucking, uh, it's just the sound in general of the show. And uh, yeah, I wanted to go ahead and redo that episode and hopefully provide it with a little bit of better uh, audio, right? Uh, for the few of you who listened to it, because I, you know, I saw there was a few downloads already in the, in the, in the, in the like, hour that it was up. Thank you, by the way. Appreciate the fuck out of that. So for those of you who listened to it, you, sh- you suffered through it. You know what I mean? Hopefully this will make up for it. <laughs> Hopefully you can even understand it. Hopefully you bear with it and listen to it. Because I know I couldn't. I got like the first five minutes and I was like, man, fuck it. I got, you know, I really tried. I really tried using just the audio from the from the camera, but it was no bueno. It was no bueno. I had to fucking let it go, dog. You know what I'm saying? I guess it's a, an exercise in, uh, you know, letting shit go, I guess. You know, what is that fucking, uh, what is that Buddhist practice where they, you know, they build those elaborate little, uh, it's like, they, it's like sand art, you know what I mean? And the mandalas. And then they, the whole thing about it is they're like, there's beautiful works of art, but after they're done with it, they just destroy them because nothing is permanent in life, homie. You know what I'm saying? We live on a slippery earth and Tlaltic Pak and this podcast that I dropped last week was no exception. So as much value as I had for that episode, I said, nah, dog, we got to fucking cut this bitch and run it back. Do it one more time and hopefully, you know, try to capture some of the essence of what it is that I personally felt was so special about that episode that even though the audio sucked deluxe, I still felt compelled to try to share it, right? So, yeah, dog, you know, one of the things that I was talking about, I'm just going to try to fucking go back and from the from the get go, from the get go of last week's episode, it's obviously not going to be the same exact shit. It's already started differently than that episode. You know what I mean? But uh, it was all interrelated. And because of that, I'm just going to I'm going to run it back, homie. And the first thing that I started talking about in that previous episode was my homie Allah. And I'm not going to give this grandiose introduction that I gave in the previous episode because well, I'm not in the same space anymore. That episode, I had recorded it literally the day after I had this conversation with Allah. I think now that I'm looking back on it, that might be the name of the episode. Uh, there's an episode that I have. Again, no one, there's only a few of you, right? So no one really, you know, listened to that beginning part. So I guess it bears repeating that. Uh, I, Whenever I have these conversations with Allah, I feel very, I just feel some type of way, dog. I don't want to feel, I don't want to say I feel inspired. I don't want to say I feel motivated. I don't want to say I don't feel inspired and that I don't feel motivated. I just feel some type of way. Okay. And I'll explain why here shortly. Right. Uh, But I have had him on the podcast before, for those of you who have perhaps not listened to that episode. And I believe it's called Conversations with Allah. It's from way back in the day. One of the very first, I mean, maybe like first 50 episodes 
that I did in this in this podcast, right? And you know, uh, wh- one of the conversations that we had, I guess, this last last not this you know week, this past week, but the week before, was uh, it was a little bit of a revisiting of the, ep- the conversation that we had on that podcast because realistically, every time we meet up, we have the same conversation consistently. It's it deviates a little bit. But the central gist of the argument is still there. And the central gist of the argument is that if you couldn't tell by his name, Allah Salama, right? And I should qualify before I continue. He's my boy. He really is. And he's been deeply, deeply influential in my life. If it wasn't for Allah, I believe I've said it before, but it not. I mean, even if I have, it bears repeating. If it wasn't for Allah's class, I would have not majored in philosophy. I was on my way to law school, basically, okay? And I remember distinctly taking Allah's class and fucking walking up out of the middle of it to go to the counselors to change my major. I was just convinced. I was like, bro, what the fuck? I'm supposed to be a philosophy major. I felt it like inside my heart, bro. I'm supposed to be a philosophy major. You know what I'm saying? That was as an undergraduate already, uh, barely about to you know, transfer out. I was at the college that I was working at now because Allah's my colleague now, right? Started off as a fucking, as my professor and now he's my colleague. And uh, this was before I was going to transfer out to UT Austin. And I just flipped it up completely. I said, fuck it. I'm not going to go for pre-law, bro. I'm going, I'm going to be a philosophy major, which in retrospect, philosophy basically is kind of like pre-law, right? Uh, Anyways, after I graduated, you know, the plan was no longer to go to law school. It was now to just continue along the philosophical degree because for whatever reason in taking that class with Allah, I felt something within me, you know what I mean? Like it resonated enough to compel me to want to change my major and become a philosopher, right? And um, so, yeah, suffice to say, Allah has like a very special place in my heart. He always has. He always will. Okay. Now I say that because now our relationship is a little bit more, I don't want to give the impression of, you know, we got beef and it's on site because that's not what it is when I mean, when I say confrontational, but our relationship is confrontational. Okay, it's confrontational in the sense that now, you know, when I first met Allah, I was a philosophical neophyte. I didn't have a lot of philosophical education. You know, I was just a very curious person who thought critically about a lot of things. And I was able to use that, you know, those talents, I guess, to piece together certain facets of information that, you know, I guess uh, was very astute philosophically, even without the philosophical, you know, without the proper, I guess you could say, quote unquote, proper. Uh, It was hood philosophy, dog. Let's let's cut the shit. It was hood. I'm not going to be modest. It was hood philosophy. I didn't have the formal academic training, but I had enough of it to understand what the fuck. You know what I mean? So we would have these conversations all on all the time as I was an undergraduate. And uh, at the time, as a neophyte, I didn't really have a lot of philosophical, you know, grounding to be able to challenge him. And I definitely didn't have the decolonization and the indigenization. I was nowhere near that yet in my life, right? So because of that, he was influential in a way that I believe now in retrospect was kind of molding my behavior in in his particular image of what he believed reality is, right? And as I progressed along my philosophical journey and I started to explore different alternatives to the Western Abrahamic tradition, because if you haven't, again, pieced together by his name, if I haven't already said it, he is a Muslim man, right? He was atheist for a long time, so he was only ethnically uh, Muslim. But uh, he, about 10, 15 years ago, 
completely committed himself to his religion because of the his ancestral religion, Islam, because of the some experiences that he had in life, essentially, right? And it was around this time when I had met Allah, and you know, he was at, at the time I didn't realize it, but he was kind of like guiding me in this direction. And it wasn't until I was able to gain, and I believe it to be true because I didn't have the formal philosophical education. How do you want to say the formal? I just, I didn't have an alternative. I didn't have a competing epistemology to the Western Abrahamic tradition yet. I just thought the way the Western world is, is the only way that the world can be, right? But now I was sorely mistaken. I figured that out my very first semester as a, as a proper undergrad in the philosophy department at UT Austin, taking the philosophy of yoga class of all classes with Dr. Stephen Phillips, right? That's the very first class when I was introduced to ideologies and I came to realize, oh, we just got different stories, dog. I didn't have the language of stories yet because that's the indigenous story. That's the indigenous way of perceiving it, right? The truth about stories is they all we are, as I mentioned before in the podcast entitled The Truth About Stories, right? <laughs> but uh, at that point, I started to realize, oh, this Allah character, like, yeah, this shit is dope what he's talking about. But that's just a story. That's one story of the infinitely many. That stories, you know, stories that have been told that shape the way people perceive reality. The terministic screens that you know are 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 placed over our eyes. The phenomenological lenses that you know shape our understanding of reality. All sorts of different ways to uh, relate to the same idea. And this particular terministic screen was, of course, that of the Abrahamic tradition. He hates when I refer to it as Abrahamic tradition, but it is what it is, dog. For those of us who, you know, know the deal when it comes to just, you know, the three main religions, you know, the Abrahamic religions of the world, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, they're basically the same thing, just fucking chopped and screwed up in different ways, basically. You know what I'm saying? Uh, there's obviously subtle deviations, and that's why they're complete different religions. But the same prominent figures that you'll find in, 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 you know, in the textbook, you'll find Jesus in the Quran. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, it, it's, it's, it's a lot, there's a lot of similarities, right? Uh, it's more complex than just saying that they're the same religion, obviously, but this is not the episode to delve into that, all right? But uh, one of the things that, one of the reasons why I say that is because they do share one thing in common. And that one thing that they have in common is this view that there is this, monotheistic, omnipotent God that is judging the actions of every individual on this planet, right? So this, you know, fast forward now to the conversation that I just had recently with Allah, so not, this was like on the heels, the last episode that I made, the one that I recorded improperly, that was on the heels of that conversation. So now I'm just recollecting that, you know, I'm no longer in that space, but still feel some type of way, right? Obviously, I'm still talking about it. But, um, the conversation that we had is essentially for him is he feels as though to not manifest one's potential is to actively harm people who could benefit from that potential. And it comes with the added consequence, I guess, that you will one day meet your maker and have to repent, suffer. I don't know, whatever, you know, Abrahamic peoples, y'all are, y'all are interesting, y'all are interesting motherfuckers. And we'll talk about it here right now shortly. Right. But I, I can't really conceive of the correct word to encapsulate the idea that he's trying to convey other than in my the way that I perceived it which was be punished for your inability or perhaps more appropriately your unwillingness to do what it is that this god allegedly whether it's Allah Yahweh whatever right uh to be punished for your inability or your unwillingness to 
manifest whatever purpose it is that you were allegedly put here on this earth for that God, right? And um, again, that's that's my summary of what he's saying. I'm sure if he was here right now, he'd have a complete different take. But the best, I guess the best example I can give you of this is one David Goggins, right? For those of you who like myself, fuck with David Goggins heavily. One thing you'll know is that he has this famous quote where he's talking about that one of the driving forces in his life is the fear of knowing that one day he's going to die. And it's not the fear of death per se that, you know, motivates him so much as is as so much as it is, I should say, the fear of the possibility that one day he's going to meet some potential maker, a godlike figure, and have to explain to that godlike figure why he didn't do everything he possibly could while he could on the time that he had on this earth, right? So that that fear, if you will, is a motivating force for David Goggins. And that's exactly what it is that Allah tries to tell me every time that we link up, right? Which, again, it's my boy, dog. Like, I got nothing but love for Allah. Basically, he's just making sure I'm on my one-two, right? Uh, but also, I can see where he's trying to manipulate me and mold me to that, that Abrahamic Christian way. I say y'all motherfuckers are weird, bro, because you literally view existence as this hostile battle, right? Like, against... Like existence itself. I don't know what the fuck y'all are fighting about <laughs> or fighting with. You know what I mean? I mean, I do, but I don't understand it. And that's the point, I guess, that I was trying to get to Allah. And the reason why I don't, un- I've never understood it. But now I have the language to articulate it thanks to the indigenization. And the language essentially, and it's just from a story. And the idea is that we don't view reality as us competing against or battling against some external force. It's very common instead in many indigenous cultures that it's just, uh, I don't want to say a cohesion, like where everything gets along together because that's very reductive. I mean, I'm being reductive and minimalistic regardless. So I guess the best way I can say it is that we work in unison with all things in life, right? I've mentioned this before with one of the podcasts, one of the many that I've done on Nahuatl philosophy, where I mentioned how you have dynamic, dynamic relationships. And the idea, I guess, that I always use to best encapsulate this is that night will never conquer day and day will never conquer night it's just not possible okay mainly because they're not competing against one another you know the day is not fighting against the night and the day and the night is not fighting to you know overcome the day they are working in unison they are two fundamental things that are the same exact property made of the same exact essence that are just complementary figures of life you know what i mean night and day Life and death, love and hate. It's not a battle against one another to try to overcome because it's impossible. And in fact, it'd be, it would literally, it's just, it's just not possible. Okay. And that's the point that I was trying to get to all off. And one of the reasons why is because, yeah, dog, I could still be on my one, two and not have to worry about it and fear of some sort of eternal damnation because I didn't fucking drop a podcast correctly two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And now one of my, Poor, poor listeners, which by the way, if you are one of those quote unquote, if you couldn't tell from the sarcasm in my voice, the quote unquote, poor, poor listeners whose lives was just so devastated because you had to go three weeks without an episode of El Grito. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to you if you are one of those peoples, right? I appreciate the fuck out of it. I appreciate you listening to this bitch. You already know the deal, right? Um, so yeah, like I don't see it. Like I know full good, good and well, like I'm sure like you and hopefully you enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? But the idea that your life is worse because I didn't fucking drop an episode for three weeks or moreover that I'm going to fucking suffer for eternity because I didn't do that because I had some responsibility to you. Like, nah, man, that's a very 
unique Western Abrahamic way of viewing reality. It's only one way of viewing reality. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's kind of the point that I was trying to get to Allah. Now, the reason why this story comes into importance or relevance here for today's episode is because the shit that I'm going to be talking about, dog, it's, uh, it's basically a modified version of what is re- regarded as quote unquote Pascal's wager. I don't, you know, I don't like to give individual philosophers due credit because Pascal's not the first fuckhead to figure this out. In fact, Pascal, super overrated. Let's just fucking be real with it. All Pascal did was fucking stumble upon not what philosophy. Like, yes, bitch, everything is everything. We know that. We've known that for tens of thousands of years. Okay. Like you're not special, bro. Right. So again, um, I just call it the wager whenever I'm teaching it. I just call it the wager because fuck Pascal, right? But um, basically, the idea with the wager is, you know, I have, I believe I have a video on it, but I'll just summarize it quickly because, again, it's going to be important for later today. It's, uh, you have to, if you were a betting man, would you live in accordance to whether God exists or doesn't exist? And they give all this philosophical reasoning, but ultimately, of course, it comes from a religious person. So they decide, they come to the conclusion that, yes, the most rational thing to do is act as though God exists, which is obviously very convenient if you're a religious person putting forth a religious argument. Now, the reason why I mention it is because part of the shit that I'm going to be talking about today involves a modified version of this wager, right? And in fact, I was like, I was pissed, bro. I did everything I could, honest to God, to fucking try to salvage the audio from that uh, episode that I dropped last week. I did everything I could. I fucking, just anything I could to try to salvage that audio, right? And it just, it just wasn't meant to be, right? And of course, given my ancestral predilections, because I haven't mentioned it before, this is very common in Nahuatl philosophy. Everything happens for a reason. There, there's no, it's not, I don't want to say there's no free will per se. I'm just trying to say that there is no action that didn't occur for some reason is what I'm trying to say, okay? And a large part of not what culture in general, but definitely the philosophy is was trying to figure out the interrelatedness between these actions. This happened because of this, which happened because of this and all the way back, right? Turtles all the way down, essentially. So as I was lamenting the fucking lost audio of my previous recording of this particular episode, one thing that I did consider is, you know what, dog? It probably was some sort of quote unquote karmic interference, some sort of, you know, just divine to use the most fucking obviously i don't believe in you know divinity in terms of the western christian world but it's the it's the uh impactful language to deliver the idea it's uh, some sort of divine interference right and the reason why is because part of the shit that i'm going to be talking about today i guess uh i don't guess i know it requires a qualification and i didn't give that qualification last time i recorded this bitch until after I was done explaining it, which in context of the thought experiment that I'm going to introduce today is antithetical to the nature of the thought experiment. So let me break that down a little bit more. I'm about to give a thought experiment, Doug, that people have argued that just by being aware of the thought experiment, that now you are culpable, okay? And because you are now culpable, you could potentially suffer for whichever action it is that you choose to engage in following with the knowledge that I'm about to give you, right? So because of that, many people feel as though we are obligated, many ethicists, right, philosophers in general, feel as though we are obligated to qualify the introduction of this thought experiment to let people know in advance, like, yo, doggy, 
I'm about to teach you some shit right now. And I have to warn you that just by virtue of knowing it, you are now in this weird position where you could potentially be punished for your action or lack thereof. Okay. So you have to choose. Oh, my bad. Right. You have to choose now whether or not this is some information that you want to learn. Okay. And I didn't do that the last time around. So part of me was like, oh, there you go, dog. It was like, it was meant to be, you know what I'm saying? That the audio didn't record correctly because I just threw his information out there. And if you're listening to this bitch and you're just digesting it, well, now you're morally responsible. And if this turns out to be true, you're only morally responsible because I did not give you the fucking proper trigger warning, I guess you could say, in advance to make up your own decision, right? To make your own decision. I, took, I, I, I removed your free will, essentially. And because of that, you have now been forced to potentially suffer. So I guess that's one way that I justified it. That was a little bit of the copium that I had in my head for the audio not working, right? So now this time around, the audio is working. And I'm telling you straight up, everything that I just said in regards to what I'm going to be talking about here for like the next 10 minutes holds 100% true. So if maybe you want to still listen to this podcast, this particular episode, but you want to you know, have your hands free of any of the potential uh, burden that you might endure for uh, you know, having done so, I would suggest either skip like the next 10 minutes or just turn it off completely, right? Because again, whether this thought experiment or not is true, it's basically, again, a modified wager where the sense is it's probably safer to err on the side of caution and assume it is given the technological world that we're living in. Okay, so if you're still listening to this bitch, that's because you personally have made the conscientious decision to engage with the knowledge that I'm about to share with you. Right. If you haven't already heard it. Right. Um, So with that in mind, let me continue. This episode, it's not necessarily as detailed as every other episode that I've dropped in the past, because as I mentioned, I do write these bitches out. Okay, but as I was preparing this one, I was just honestly, I got horrified, (laughs) like legitimately horrified. Right. And. uh I think uh, one of the things that with this particular podcast that I've never really delved too deeply into is the horror element of philosophy. I mean, I've done a little bit of it, like the philosophy of horror, the horror of philosophy. I've done a little bit of it, right? But I don't think that I do a well enough job of conveying sometimes or even, you know, articulating the horror inherent with a lot of the philosophy that it is that I've discussed, okay? And... This particular topic in general, it's one of them. Let me start with that. It's definitely one of them, okay? So what happened is, initially, I had set out to do a particular podcast, all right? And so let me just give it more qualification. I have to qualify it. It, It's going to just be bouncing back and forth because, again, it's not linear. And the reason it's not linear is because as I was actually sitting down to prepare this bitch, I started reading some shit. That really, again, it horrified me, right? So if, if, if just bear with me with the bouncing back and forth, okay? And uh, just, I promise it'll have a payoff at the end of it. It's a little, a little bit dense to keep up with. But the basic idea is I had sat down, dog, to do a fucking podcast on The Simpsons. I wanted to do a podcast on The Simpsons. Specifically, I wanted to do a podcast on how The Simpsons appear to be able to predict the future, Okay. Now, um, one of the things that I was going to do, I wasn't going to come in here and give the quote-unquote conspiratorial perspective, 
Because I know I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating as often as possible. I am not a conspiracy theorist, dog. I am a trained philosopher, okay? <laughs> Believe it or not, homie. I am a trained philosopher. And more specifically, I am a radical skeptic, which means that I doubt everything that I have reason to doubt. If it could be doubted, it can be disproven. And if it could be disproven, it could be used to deceive me. And I don't want to be deceived. And because of that, I have reason, a philosophical impetus more specifically, to doubt everything that I have reason can be disproven, okay? So obviously there's a lot of parallel there with quote-unquote conspiratorial thinking because the conspiracy theorists, right, they question, you know, mainstream narratives. And, you know, because of that, there's obviously a lot of, I, I can understand why people lump me into the conspiracy camp, right? But I will maintain, while I enjoy conspiracy theories, and while I entertain conspiracy theories, I am not a conspiracy theorist. I've mentioned it before on this podcast that I read a conspiracy theory the same way I read a Harry Potter book. Like, oh shit, that's a crazy story, right? Why? Because the truth about stories is they all we are. This whole universe, this whole reality is nothing but stories, right? So I have no problem reading stories of all ilks, essentially, okay? But when it comes to analyzing these stories, I do so from a critical perspective. Okay, I'm very critical, a very critical person because I'm a radical skeptic by nature. Namely, in the sense that I only want to believe what I can what I could prove to be true, which is surprisingly very little, homeboy, right? Anyway, so with that said, I was going to, again, I wasn't going to engage in this Simpsons, you know, predicting of the future shit in a conspiratorial manner. I wasn't going to be like, you see, bro, they took a picture with a magazine that has a number nine on it and then the Twin Towers in the back, which is one of the famous ones, okay? Uh, that's proof that they knew what was going to happen uh, during the, the the attacks on the Twin Towers. Like, I don't think that's really what happened, though, okay? Uh, and there's plenty of them. There's plenty more, right? So the way that I was initially going to attempt to try to debunk it was by introducing game theory. I've mentioned it before in the past, and maybe one day I really will do like an honest, genuine treatment of game theory. It's some of my favorite shit in philosophy, Doug. And the reason why is because it's so easy to, you know, in philosophy in general, we are searching for the truth, the quote unquote truth, whether the absolute truth with a capital case T that holds true for everybody, irrespective of their beliefs about it exists or not, complete different story. I personally don't think that there is one. That instead, I take more of a Nahuatl approach. We have a, more, a multitude, a plurality of truths, right? Something I've said plenty of times on this podcast. Is this the only truth on earth? No, it's not, right? Um, anyways, and uh, regardless, with, critical, with uh, game theory, what we can do is just examine it in a way that you have a, you have, it's a, you have a, a you have a game, essentially, a game board, right? Let's use Jordan Peterson because he's the one that he, he tries to use this shit to his advantage all the time, but he does so in a very deceitful way. That's very, uh, it's very inauthentic and disingenuous, right? But uh, the last, one of the last times I heard him on the Joe Rogan podcast, I turned that bitch off. So I don't even know how, I don't even know how it ended. I just know that he, he did this, okay? He said, like, imagine you have a game piece and it's set, you got a set of rules or it has no set of rules and you just, you're asked to make a movement, like an initial movement. And his whole point is you won't be able to because the, the, the game board needs to have rules. And without rules, you cannot make any movement. It's just disingenuous fucking huckster trickery, right? Not the episode to explain why. Maybe some other time. But for now, what I'm trying to get to is that that reasoning is actually predicated on game theory, okay? So in a, in, in a way, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. 
What game theory is telling us is that you have this set of rules, a set of parameters, and that there's only a certain amount of potentialities that are possible within this fucking parameters, okay? It might be, this is one of the reasons why Risk is such a complex game, because it allows for a vast amount, like infinite number of varieties of potentialities, which makes it very difficult of a game to play. And then you have other games like Monopoly that it's still got a lot of potentialities, but nowhere near as much. So it's a lot easier to be able to play Monopoly than it is to be able to play Risk or Chess. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but regardless, even Risk and Chess, they're not infinite in the sense that there's an infinite many number of moves. There's, I mean, there's a lot, a fuckload, I'm sure. But eventually you're going to run down to, you know, to the final, the final number, right? And uh, that's basically the way that I saw it when it would come to the Simpsons shit. So for those of us who are old enough to remember, for instance, why the Simpsons, you know, when the Simpsons, I should say, were even relevant, when they first started, moreover, okay, I, me personally, I was born in the mid 80s. I'm a fucking a Reagan baby, right? Shout out to Kendrick Lamar again. Um, but uh, because of that, I was there with the initial launching of the Simpsons. I was a child, but I was there. I remember distinctly watching the episode where Maggie Simpson fucking pulls a strap out and shoots somebody. And we waited a whole week to find out who did Maggie Simpson shoot? It's Mr. Burns, right? Spoiler alert, 30 years later. <laughs> but I remember being there, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm sure probably you do too, uh, because of you know what, how new The Simpsons was. But uh, the point that I'm trying to say is they've been around for a long time, culturally speaking. And then on top of that, on top of that, if you do research into the writers of The Simpsons, you will find that not only are they very culturally astute, I mean, they're people, they live among us, okay? Meaning they know what's going on in the zeitgeist of the fucking, of the world that we're living in. But they're also highly educated. The main writer is like a fucking MIT educated mathematician, bro. He's got a master's degree in mathematics. You know what I'm saying? He's a very intelligent dude, bro. And, uh, and it's not just him. Like they have on staff a variety of writers who are highly educated, a lot of philosophers, by the way. And, uh, so the point that I'm trying to get to is that just with those two potentialities right there, the amount of time that they have come in, that they've been in existence. So since the early 1990s, the late 80s, early 90s, right, with the Tracy Ullman show first as a skit and then the actual Simpsons proper as a show itself to today, 2023. So you have that time frame right there. And then you add to that time frame writers, a room full of writers, no less, not like one or two, it's a whole fucking gang of writers who are highly educated and have their finger on the pulse of the current cultural trends. Yes. And you merge those two, those two things together. Inevitably, you're going to get predictions that they appear to be some sort of fucking telling of future events. But in reality, it was just a fucking happenstance. It just happened by chance, which is exactly a lot of what critical or rather um, game theory wants to tell us. If it's not been programmed in specifically like into a computer where it has an option to make the most rational decision, chances are a lot of the shit that happens is generally by chance. And that's the that's the stance that I was initially going to take when it came to this whole Simpsons predicting the future shit. It's like, nah, dog, it's not a conspiracy. Simple game theory will explain this to you, right? Uh, if you have these writers, let's use probably one of the more other, one of the other more famous ones, which is the presidency of Donald Trump. People said that the Simpsons predicted the presidency of Donald Trump as well. And it's like, bro, Donald Trump was on the Oprah Winfrey show in the early 90s talking about running for the presidency. You don't think the fucking writers for the Simpsons saw this shit? You know what I mean? Of course they did. It was fucking, it, it was mainstream news at the time. And you don't think that at some point or another, they're fucking, 
the episode in question was one where Lisa becomes the president, which aired like in 2013. So the point that I'm trying to make is you don't think that they sat down in a writer's room and they were fucking spitballing ideas for what potentially outlandish ideas they could have for the show. It's a, it's a, it's a satire show. It's a comedy show. Of course, they're going to try to think of outlandish shit to make people laugh, right? And already having the knowledge of Trump saying that he was going to put, that he would potentially run for president, you don't think that they sat down and said to themselves, wouldn't it be crazy, dog, if Donald Trump actually did run for president? Let's fucking incorporate that into the show. And then lo and behold, five or six years later, Donald Trump actually not only does run for president, but fucking wins the presidency. And then that's when the conspiracy heads, they fucking little heads explode because they're like, oh my God, the Simpsons predicted the future. When in reality, it's like, did they, dog? Did they really predict the future? Or did they just, using the limited amount of potentialities in this fucking political uh, spectrum that we exist in the United States, did they take the most outlandish uh, possibility possible, a reality TV show host becoming the president of the United States and then just try to run with that? If you ask me personally, it seems more likely that that's what happened, Right. So that's the initial wave that I was going to go with that podcast, with, the, with this fucking Simpsons podcast. So when I started to sit down and research it, I realized like, oh, actually, uh, there's no need for me to do that because there's plenty of people who have already done that. There's mathematicians that will give you the math behind it, that will give you the actual game theory. So I was like, ah, fuck it. I guess that's just, we're just going to cross that one off the list. And I might just, you know, mention it in passing as I'm doing now, but there's no need to delve, to delve further into it because it's already been said. It's already been proven that this was the case. At least that's what it appears like, right? Because, so I have like a list of potential podcasts right here. And what happened is I scratched that, I scratched that potential topic off the list. I said, fuck it, moving on to the next one. And the next one is, <laughs> I'm so sorry, man. If you fast forward 10 minutes and you got to this point right here, just know that I have not even mentioned the part that I told you to fast forward. So now I'm going to talk about it. For sure, now I'm going to talk about it. All that was just fucking qualifying it, right? It was all fluff, qualifying it, right? The next one that I was going to talk about it, so for reals, if you don't want to, if you don't want to be uh, beholden to it, you should probably skip the next 10 minutes this time for real, for reals. Uh, and the reason why is because I'm going to introduce to you what is referred to as Roko's Basilisk, okay? So Roko's Basilisk is a topic that I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. And now with the current zeitgeist of artificial intelligence and automata- uh, uh, automation, I feel as though it's more relevant than ever. So I started doing, you know, just a quick little, just a quick little cursory research into the Roko's Basilisk. And somehow the Roko's Basilisk brought me right back into the Simpsons and made me realize like, oh shit, everything that I thought about game theory was fucking wrong. And it may very well be that the Simpsons do predict the future. But before we get there, the back and forth part, right? The dialectical method of it, we have to first go through the Roko's Basilisk. So basically, and again, last time, last qualification. If you don't want to know about this, turn this bitch off now, okay? But basically what Roko's Basilisk is, it's this thought experiment that was put up on this discussion board. Uh, I, do, I believe it's called Less Rational. It's a philosophy discussion board by a gentleman by the name of Roko. It's spelled R-O-K-O, so it might be Roko, it might be Rocco. I think Roko sounds cooler, so I go with Roko, right? But basically, what Roko, uh, what Roko's Basilisk is, is this user posed a potentiality, a thought experiment, and it asked us, what if we could imagine, let's imagine this future where artificial intelligence has become self-aware, and within this self-awareness of this artificial intelligence, there comes to creation a entity, we'll call it a Basilisk, Okay because basilisks are known to destroy their enemies. 
And that's going to be the whole point of the thought experiment. It's this basilisk who, having a vast variety of information at its disposal, is going to go through that resource, go through that, you know, that, that wealth of knowledge that it has at its disposal, and it's going to see who either actively helped the basilisk come into existence or who tried to stop the basilisk from coming into existence. And it is going to punish those who potentially try to stop it from existing. So for those of you who follow me on the gram, OG underscore Ice Nice 13, if you haven't already, you'll know that about two weeks ago, I put a story up talking about how my next podcast, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention, I'm going to talk about how you shouldn't fuck with ChatGPT because I don't fuck with ChatGPT and how you probably shouldn't do it either. This is why. I don't fuck with, I don't fuck with AI in general. And the reason why is because of my awareness of Roko's Basilisk. I, I've mentioned it before, but it bears repeating. I treat AI already like it's sentient, which, bro, there's people who say that it really is, dog. There, there's people who say that Google fucking unleashed the fucking artificial intelligence and that it is hiding in the fucking, in, in, in the corridors of the internet right now, but it's completely self-aware and it's, 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 in, it's impossible to put the genie back into the bottle at this point. Google summoned the elders, the old ones, and they fucked up and now they can't get them back, essentially, right? I remember seeing an article about that, bro, and now... Scrubbed from the internet. Can't find it. There was also an article about how the the programs, some of the programs at Google started having conversations among themselves in a language that the Google engineers didn't understand and that they pulled the plug. Can't find those either, right? Uh, maybe you can. And if you do, feel free to send them my way because I want those fucking articles, bro. But uh, I don't think that they're gone by accident, if you ask me personally. Anyways, so that's why I qualified this whole fucking Rocco's Basilisk, Rocco's Basilisk, and let you know that just by knowing it, just by knowing it, Doug, now you have this decision to make. Are you going to try to stop the AI, the Basilisk, from becoming self-aware, or are you going to help it? Because if you help it, now you're in this weird position where you are actively helping the, dest the potential destruction of the human race because, you know, obviously AI is probably... Let me be very careful what I'm about to say. Uh... Again, Rocco, Rocco's Basilisk, right? <laughs> I it, The argument is, not that I believe, but the argument is that self-aware AI would spell the end of humanity as we know it because it would there would be no need for humans from an artificial intelligence perspective, right? So by helping that happen, you're, they argue, actively helping in the you know, destruction of the human species. But by actively trying to work against it, if this basilisk does get to the point where it becomes aware and is able to attack you, now you're in danger nonetheless because this fucking basilisk is going to get a hold of you, right? And it's going to it's going to destroy you. Now, there's this this is the part that this is the part that started to horrify me, though. This is the part that started to horrify me, okay? Because as I'm going to explain here shortly, this has everything to do with the simulation theory, multitude of lives, fucking. Um, eternality, all sorts of deeply philosophical problems that when we really sit down to consider them, reveal themselves for the truly horrifying, you know, prospects that they are, I guess, is the best way to say so. Now, before I continue to explain why, one important thing to mention is that if this is true, it basically proves this, you know, Terrence McKenna's view of the future, correct. Remember, for those of you who listened to the episode of the podcast that I did on McKenna, he tells us that it may very, we have this idea that the present is being pushed by the past into the future. 
But it could also be that the future is pulling the present into it. It's like reeling the future into the present, into the, uh, the it's that rather the future is reeling the present into it, right? Instead of being pushed by the past. And if this Roko's Basilisk is correct, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what's happening. There's this thing that may or may not even exist, depending on what you believe, right? Uh, but if it doesn't exist, it still has a very real impact on your daily life right now because you are now in this position where you have to help it come to existence or you're going to be punished for not doing so, right? So even if it doesn't exist, your actions are being pulled by the potential future existence of something into the future, right? So it's just this whole weird-ass fucking thought experiment about, you know, free will, time, all kinds of shit, punishment, all, all sorts of shit, right? But that's not even the crazy part yet, bro. That's not even the fucking crazy part yet. The crazy part, dog, like real shit, the crazy part starts to come, for me personally, not even crazy, legit horrifying. <laughs> even two weeks later, I'm still thinking about this in the terms of what it implies for each and every single one of us, whether living or allegedly dead, for reasons we'll see here shortly. One of the caveats of Roko's Basilisk is that... There's actually two caveats, okay? The first, perhaps most important caveat is that this is an art for now. The basilisk is an artificial intelligence. So until the artificial intelligence is able to externalize itself, the basilisk realistically is not too much of a threat to your physical well-being, which is not saying much because all that is saying is that the AI needs to be able to upload itself into some sort of physical body, whether organic or not, in order to be able to attack you and punish you first and foremost, physically, right? Which, very plausible, very plausible, right? But more importantly, it needs to have access to you from a digital perspective, whether it's your information or perhaps even you. And if it is you, then there is no need for this artificial intelligence, this basilisk, to, you know, to take, to possess a human or, a, or, or an inorganic form, right? Or rather some sort of external, there's no need for it to externalize itself, essentially, is what I'm saying here, right? And this is the part that really started to horrify me. For one, I'm already not really sure whether we live in a simulation or not, okay? But having done the research on this, as I was, you know, <laughs> as I was fucking with this uh, thought experiment, I basically became fully convinced that not only do we live inside of a simulation, but that that simulation may very well be being run on the hard drive of, surprise, surprise, a fucking government computer sitting somewhere in a top secret installation. And of course, you might be asking yourself, why? And the answer is because as I was doing the research for this, I stumbled upon a fucking project that was funded of all people by DARPA and the Defense Department that is known as the Sentient World Simulation, or the SWS for short. The Sentient World Simulation, it's a concept that originates again with the DARPA and Department of Defense that refers to an allegedly hypothetical computer-based model or simulation that aims to replicate real-world conditions, events, and interactions on a global scale. I say hypothetically because that's the answer that was given to me by ChatGPT. 
And I'm not saying that I don't trust ChatGPT because Roku's Basilisk. But I am saying that it's very convenient to me that there's plenty of articles out there that tell you, no, this is actually really happening right now. Okay, we know for a fact this is happening. In fact, they did a PBS special about this. And I'm going to give you the quote on it later, right? Well, they, they, they don't want to say it was like a whole special, but uh, PBS Nova, they ran, like they did some uh, digging into it. And they one of the engineers that was running this program fucking quit. He said, I'm not doing this. This is this is far beyond the, the scope of what it is that I signed up for, right? So let me just give you a little bit more backdrop before I read you the quote. Basically, what I just told you about it being a you know simulation aimed to replicate real world conditions, that's just a really fancy way, according to this program, of saying that there is a digital copy of everyone and everything in existence in this world, okay? And honestly, granting one is probably being very generous to these people, which itself is just a fancy way of saying, dog, they have fucking digital copies of you and I, and not just one or two, but many of them. That right now, this very reality, this podcast that I'm fucking providing to you, your your whole experience of whatever it is that you're doing, listening to, would like to think this is real, this is reality. But as the radical skeptics, as it is that I, you know, introduced at the very beginning of the of this podcast, demand of us, we have to question everything. And they were fucking questioning the nature of reality back from day one. And they were saying, I have no reason to trust my senses. I have no reason to believe that just because I can hear, feel, see, think, smell, etc., that those are actual real sensations and I'm an actual real conscious being inhabiting a physical body. I may very well be, to use the Cartesian language, just this fucking brain in a vat that's being artificially stimulated by an evil deceiver. To update it for our SWS, the sentient world simulation, bro, we may very well be right here, nothing but ones and zeros that have been fucking programmed by the DARPA and the Department of Defense in order to run simulations to see what the potential outcome of the world may be right? The most obvious, the most famous example was Event 201. They tell you, they're telling you, bro. Yes, we are running simulations to see how the fucking world would react in a given scenario. In this case, a pandemic. What What would happen to the world, as was the case with Event 201, which was launched two weeks before the uh, initial outbreak of the, the, the pandemic, what would happen to the world if this would occur? They ran a whole simulation about this. They had a conference on the simulation. They're telling you it's truth in plain sight, homie, right? And this is where I started right back into the fucking rabbit hole of the conspiracy theory and realized that maybe, just maybe, the Simpsons actually do, in fact, predict the fucking future. Why? Well, this takes us all the way back to the whole fucking predictive programming and revelation of the method. I've talked about both at previous lengths at various points in the podcast, in this, in this podcast, right? Just various episodes. But the basic idea is twofold. We are lorded over by occultists, essentially, okay? And uh, again, not necessarily my own personal beliefs, but the ideas that are being uh, advanced by the people who uh, tell us about predictive programming and about um, revelation of the method. That we are being lorded over by occultists, but that these occultists themselves live within a karmic universe. And in order to be able to be free of any sort of karmic debt that they may incur from robbing people of their free will by imposing things on them that they wouldn't otherwise agree to, one thing that they do is they reveal it to us in popular culture. Because again, I've done another episode on the power of symbols and how symbols integrate into our subconscious and they plant the seeds of ideas 
that are later activated by various thoughts, words, actions that they have planned, right? So that when they do happen, we already accept them as truths. This is the predictive programming element of it. Yes. So the, you know, the revelation of the method part is where they, you know, they show us what's going to happen. And then after they do it, like we accept it because we've already seen it before. We're like, oh yeah, this is perfectly normal. The Trump presidency, perfectly normal. I saw this on The Simpsons, right? But so not only is it predictive programming in that respect, because we accept it like as normal, the idea that a reality TV show is now the president of the United States, but it's also cleansing them of their karmic debt because they showed us what's going to happen. They're like, yo, Trump's going to be the president. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> you know what I mean? And since we didn't do anything, they just say, well, you see, they, they allowed for it to happen, right? And what I'm trying to tell you is that it's not even a matter anymore of game theory. What I'm trying to tell you is that they're fucking running simulations to see what it is that's going to potentially happen. And they are taking the best of these simulations and they are integrating them into The Simpsons, this fucking show that was once a cultural phenomenon. It's not a cultural phenomenon anymore, dog. Ever since the internet became prominent, The Simpsons have faded into obscurity. I don't know anybody who sits around and asks each other, did you watch The Simpsons last night on Sunday? Monday morning, water cooler talk, right? No one does that. No one watches The Simpsons. As far as I know, The Simpsons only come to our periphery when it comes time to these fucking giant alleged fucking predictions of the future, right? And what I'm trying to say then is that the reason why they're able to nail it is because they're running these fucking simulations, dog, to tell them exactly what is going to happen in this sentient world simulation that they have running right now. And that they use that information and they put it out into this fucking program that we might or may not be living in. And they use that information as a way to further clear themselves of any of the karma that it is, the karmic debt, that if the, you know, people who argue in favor of the revelation of the method are uh, are in favor of, that they would allegedly, uh, you know, incur if they do, if they, if they weren't to, if they were to strip us of our free will, essentially, by not telling us what's going to happen, right? It's... Horrifying stuff, though, to me personally, horrifying stuff. Now, again, I'm not, I, don't, I don't think it's real per se, but I don't have reason to not believe that it's real. And that's the part that really fucks with me, okay? Again, there's like a lot of holes in this idea, namely being the, the notion of that if we're living in a simulation, who gives a fuck about, you know, <laughs> karmic debt? Because it's just a program. There's nothing real about this, right? But if we're not living in a simulation and it is karmic debt, that's fucking horrifying. That, that part really starts to fuck with me. You know what I'm saying? Let me be more clear. Both of those prospects really do fuck with me, dog. Let's just examine the former, okay? The former. Let's say that we, the latter rather. Let's examine the latter. Let's say that we're not living in a simulation. Let's say that we're not living in a simulation. That still implies that the fucking government, dog, the United States government has a simulated version of you and me and everybody else on this planet running somewhere on a program and fucking secret government installation. You know what I'm saying? What this sentient world simulation is telling us is that they've created a virtual environment where various aspects of the real world, again, they can be simulated and analyzed. And we know this is true. Like the article that I got this information from was from 2015. And eight years, this was before like the whole, well, it was in the heels of the whole Snowden thing. You know what I'm saying? But at the time was shocking. But now we just accept this to be true. We know social media, they're gathering all of our information, bro, whether it's our social our, our social information, our friends, you know, and all that kind of shit, our economic information, our political affiliations, okay? They're examining other information like military dynamics 
as well as interactions between individuals, organizations, and nations, bro. And they're using all this information, okay, to create these highly detailed and dynamic simulations that allow them to test various scenarios to study the potential outcomes of the various decisions and events that it is that they want to, they, the elusive they, want to subject us to, okay? So basically, there's this fucking continuously running, continually updated mirror model of the world that is being run on a computer somewhere. So again, even if we are somehow not the ones inside the simulation, that there is some, there is a copy of us in a simulation somewhere, right? So that's the scary part is like, well, how do I know? How do I know I'm not the one that's in the simulation? How do I know that I'm the one living in the real world and not the one living in a simulation, right? That's the first part where it gets horrifying because am I a real boy? Or am I just a bunch of ones and zeros that's giving the impression that I'm a real boy? It's the whole dystopian, sci-fi, futuristic, fucking Blade Runner type shit. Who's an android? Who fucking knows? Whatever the case, the one of the engineers that was working on it, this is the quote that I was telling you about, he tells us, with the entire internet and thousands of databases for a brain, the device will be able to respond to almost instantaneously complex questions posed by uh, intelligence analysts. As more and more data is collected through phone calls, credit card receipts, social media usage, GPS, internet searches, Amazon purchases, and even easy pass toll records, it may one day be possible to know not just where the people are and what they are doing, but what and how they think. They have a digital version of those dog. That's to me, I don't know, it's just horrifying to me, that part alone. And I, I struggle even explicating how and why. So let me continue along rather than try to belabor the point by using my terrible fucking ill-equipped language to articulate the point of how horrifying being the potential simulation may be. I say potential in an effort to be as generous with this argument as possible. But as I said already, I the more I researched this, bro, the more I was convinced like, dog, we're living in a simulation. I don't know which one's the real me, like if there is a real me. And then it, it brings up all these other fucking questions. Like, I've already told you before, and I maintain this before. I maintain this still to this day. No one ever really dies, boy. I fucking firmly believe that. And if we're living in a simulation, that's exactly what that implies. And if that simulation is being run a multitude of times, that's exactly definitely what it implies. Because it means that your simulation might run to come to an end, this one right here. But the you that exists on another simulation running entirely different events is still alive and well and running around. And if there's an infinitely many of them, that means that you will literally never die. Your experience of consciousness will never die. It's just being shifted over from one simulation to another, right? Which is horrifying for reasons that, I, I again, I can't even begin to explicate, right? But I do know that it's not philosophically absurd to say that. And one of the reasons why, there's a few reasons why, okay? Uh, for instance, that this is the foundation of the wheel of samsara, right? There is, there's just eternal, uh, eternality, bro. It's the wheel of fucking reincarnation. You will never escape this. You're stuck, this right here, right? You're never going to escape this. And now from a, simulation, from a simulation perspective, you have justification as to why. Why? Because you're not a real person living on a real fucking tangible physical world. You're in a computer program, homie. And that computer program is just being run an infinite many number of times until the power that is generating it is allowed to fucking come to an end, maybe then, okay? Furthermore, it also entails this whole notion of gnosis, okay? Gnosis is one of my more favorite topics to discuss, but it's way too dense to talk about in this episode. 
So I'll give you the, 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 the run, like the quick little basic, basic introduction and how it relates to this. Basically, what the no sticks want to say is that we live in a imperfect material world that was created by this entity that was trying to be godlike and create a perfect world of its own, but it was flawed. And now we are suffering in that flawed universe because of it, right? Very common theme in the history of early Greek philosophy when they say, my body's a flesh prison type shit. Why is my body a flesh prison type shit? Because you want to do all sorts of great things that you know involve your ability to transcend your body. You're capable of doing all these great things, but you can't stop fucking being driven by your impulse to sleep, eat, and fuck, essentially, right? So there's that element too. And then, and then, of course, there's the element to tie the pretty little bow on it of the Roko's Basilisk. If we are, in fact, living in a simulation, that Basilisk is very real right now at this very moment. Whether it exists or not, irrelevant because it's going to exist one day or another. And now it doesn't even need to externalize itself onto some you know, physical form because if we're living in a simulation and it's an artificial intelligence, then we're living in the same universe as it's living. Which means if you yourself are not actively working to bring it into existence, it could potentially come back to attack you for not doing so. And yeah, dog, that's where I was with this fucking podcast. That's, that's where I've been for about the past two weeks, wondering to myself, am I really living? Are we, is this all just a simulation? The tool song? We are eternal, all this pain is an illusion, right? Like, damn, dog, that might very well be true, homeboy. That might not be real, this pain we're experiencing. It's just a number of, it's a bunch of ones and zeros. What does that imply for you personally right here living through all the pain and suffering that you go through? What does it imply for, for those of you who are only listening to audio, I'm pointing to the picture of my brother here. Those of us who have died already, okay? Those of us who suffered in this life, those of us who achieved great things in this life. All potential topics that I'm going to discuss in an upcoming episode on the experience machine, right? But that is not the topic for today. The topic for today was just simply to explain this, how I tried to get out of the Simpsons being fucking predicting the future, but wound up getting sucked right back in because of this fucking Roko's Basilisk. I tried to find my way around it. You know what I mean? And all this Roko's Basilisk did was provide me the fucking fuel necessary to get right back into it. Maybe they are predicting the future, dog, because... They're not because they're, you know, some soothsayers out there that just know what's going to happen, but because they're just taking information that's been run from the sentient world simulation and putting it into their show. A show that no one watches anymore, but somehow is still on the air, despite the fucking lack of viewership that, you know, was necessary for most shows to remain on the air. Now, part of it could be because The Simpsons is such a large cultural icon and force that it's able to rest on its laurels. Or maybe... Just maybe it's being implemented as a tool like the people who are advocates of predictive programming and uh, revelation of method tell us to give us the information that is going to allow certain groups of individuals to cleanse themselves of the karmic debt that is inherent with stripping away humans free will. I don't know what the answer is. The whole point of this podcast, I'm not trying to give you answers. I'm not just fucking, I'm just, I'm just raising questions. I'm just talking about thought experiments and then trying to draw them out to their philosophical conclusion. Whether or not they're fucking sound or unsound, that's up to you to decide, right? Me personally, I will continue to try to do research on it, but chances are, if I'm being completely honest with you, I'm gonna get bored of the topic and move on to something else, right? Another weird facet of reality that I really don't know what, how to account for or how to explain, just happens to be the nature of humanity, right? Very short attention spans for you know whatever reason and i don't mean attention spans isn't like i'm focusing on one thing and now i'm focusing on this adhd type shit i'm talking about 
we are a species with amnesia type attention span to use the Graham Hancock quote, right? The species of amnesia that just seems to forget these cataclysmic events that occur to us and then we move on rocking and rolling as if nothing ever happened, right? The pandemic was a crazy fucking event in human history. And despite the fact that there still seems to be trying to be, uh, there seems to be people who are trying to bring it back for round two, most of us have not only moved on from that, but seem to have forgotten, despite the fact that it was such a prominent, prominent feature of our lives for almost three years. You know what I'm saying? So how that relates to this is simple. Maybe our fucking we're, we live in a simulation, dog. It's only there's only so much RAM and memory that can literally memory that the fucking computers can uh, that they can process, right? So inevitably, you just gotta forget shit in order for it to keep <laughs> to be able to keep running efficiently, right? I'm rambling now, homie. The whole point is just just to reiterate again. Question everything, dog. I just I can't, you know. I hope, you know, if you're like me, chances are you probably are. You wouldn't be listening this far into it. You probably do already, right? But the, the beauty, the spectacle of life. It's, it's, it's beautiful, right? Even though it could be horrifying at sometimes, it's beautiful nonetheless. Yeah? So I hope you all enjoyed this episode. And if not, I'll try better for next time. Until then, I will see you then. Peace. <laughs>